Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of the most feared sluggers of all time and Hall of Famer Mike Schmidt. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. And joining us today, uh, a lot of people would say it's the best third baseman of all time. But selfishly to me, uh, he's kind of a guy that was just part of a real cool childhood for me growing up. Uh, Mike Schmidt, Schmitty, thanks for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it. So much my pleasure, uh, Brett. Um, I cannot tell you, maybe I shouldn't tell your listeners how far we go back. Uh, I changed your diapers one night. You know that, right? I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> and we were talking about, I, you were, I think you know, it was we 1972. <laughs> yeah. Holiday we were Villas, about- Holiday Villas, you were a little tiny baby and we were babysitting for you. Or, uh, Donna and I were babysitting for a little Brett Boone and, he was so cute, and we had to change your diapers that night. So I'll never forget about that. And I remember we were talking earlier before before we started the show, <laughs> and and you were talking about your kids. Man, I, it, this was before you you and Donna had kids, but I do remember. I remember oh, holiday. I remember holiday villa as well. That was early in in your career, early in Dad's career, and we used to uh, take the van down to spring training every year. Uh, yeah, right. and and Aaron and and myself to this day, we we still reminisce, and especially Aaron. I mean, he, he loves those Phillies days, and we'll get into that as as we get on later in the right. show. Uh, yeah, and we'll get to talk about my childhood, but right now, I kind of want to talk about your childhood. It all started. Uh, you grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and just just tell the audience what it was like being Mike Schmidt growing up as a kid, and and. Uh, how much you love this game? Yeah, Brad, I, I was very lucky. Uh, we, you know, we we had a nice uh, middle class uh, family environment. Uh, I was able to pretty much uh, have the experiences that you know a young boy would dream about having. Um, I got to play all the sports. Uh, we had a park near our house with uh, you know a baseball diamond, batting. Uh, excuse me. Uh, basketball hoops and a place to play football, you know, so it was a neighborhood hangout. Uh, a lot of kids in the neighborhood had some athletic talent, went to, we all went to the same high school. And so, you know, back then, of course, there weren't cell phones and there weren't computers and everything, you know, was about being outdoors and competing uh, in, in all the sports, depending upon the time of the season. Um, of course, we had great competitive sports uh, at, at, our, at our high school as well. And, uh, you know, the, in that era, um, that was kind of the, you know, the center of, of you know, our, the young guys' lives uh, growing up was, uh, was you know, the aspect of sports. And, uh, you know, we obviously went to school and did the best we could in school. But as soon as school was out and, and we got home, we, you know, we headed, we fought our parents over homework and all that always. But, uh Headed down to the playground and competed in whatever uh, whatever season it was in that sport, and I think that's uh, got a great deal to do with, um, of course, your father is, and me as well, uh, developing as athletes as we did and becoming uh, successful uh, at what we we're doing. I, I would imagine your dad played all the sports as well, and uh, and then you know the. God has a plan for all of us. And in both of his case and my case, it ended up being baseball and got a lot of breaks in life. Timing was great for me. Um, I uh, always seemed to do the right thing at the right time through college. And of course, I was really not a a great high school prospect in any sports, really. I mean, I walked on at Ohio University and and, uh, developed there as a ball player and it might have been a different story for your dad. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, probably a little bit more highly touted as a young athlete than I was. But we ended up in the same place. Um, you know, the good Lord took care of both of us. And and uh, your dad actually, um, 
was uh, one of my best friends ever. And, you know, we still are quite close. And I'll just never forget uh, your mom and dad taking me under their wing uh, as a young as a young player with the Phillies. Uh, we lived out in a little town in New Jersey, and they invited me over a lot of times for a pregame meal, and I rode to the ballpark with them. And your father was always uh, someone that I admired tremendously um, and still do, still do. He's one of the uh, um, greatest baseball men I've ever been around. And uh, to this day, I, <laughs> I I can't get a word in edgewise when I get around <laughs> about the game. But uh, we have some stories to tell, as you know. And uh, uh, so, you know, for me, as I said, it all started in Dayton, Ohio. Um, crazy thing. Um, going from Dayton, Ohio to, you know, through the minor leagues to Philadelphia and then uh, to where we are now. So, I guess your dad's probably 72, 73. Is that about right? He's, I think yeah. he's a year or two older than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm 71. So uh, the old man and, and me are getting up there in years, but we have some memories that uh, he and I will never, ever forget. And, of course, you're part of them, brother. Well, yeah. So, all right. And I'm going to do the best I can here with this. I, I, I played golf with dad today. and Yeah. Uh, I told him Schmitty's coming on the show. He said, I'll tell Mike. I said, hi, you know, typical stuff. And, and we started talking about. <laughs> Sounds like you know, him. <laughs> yeah. And he's, and we started talking about uh, the minor leagues and, and when you first signed. So you go to Ohio U, you get yeah. drafted by the, and, and I'm going to try to, to, to reenact this story as good as I can. You tell me what's true. And, and, and if I make it, I'm, I'm going to do the best job I can. Here it goes. So you sign. In 1971, your big high uh, high pick for the Phillies. Yeah, and they send you to Reading, and there's yeah. there's games that there's games that we always have, uh, you know, in the big leagues where where the big club comes down and, and plays one of the affiliates. It's kind of a, you know, it yeah, kind of pumps right. up uh, pumps up the minor league talent. Well, he said Schmitty comes to town. He's a shortstop. He doesn't play for the Reading Phillies. He plays for the big club, ends up going deep late to win the game. That's right. The story, the story was you were headed to A ball, but somebody in the Philly organization said, now nah, just keep him there. Well, dad at Granny the time Hamner. says, yeah, dad at the time says he's the third baseman, but he's starting to catch a little bit. You're playing short. They move you to second. You get hurt on a play at second hold base. It, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. All right. Back up, All right. Now. You you had a you had it perfect to that point. Oh, but no, man. I played well, short. Dad's and, uh, old. He, he was telling me the story. <laughs> they moved Bob. They moved your dad to catcher and moved the guy that was playing short for Reading to third. A guy named Rusco, and I played short at Reading. And then of course right. the next year, Bob, your dad, and I both went to AAA Eugene, Oregon. And you, you, by the way, you had that correct uh, crazy thing. I, I mentioned timing and, and, you know, doing the right thing at the right time. I mean, what are the odds of me hitting a home run to win that game? And that's what, and that's what happened. And therefore they left me at Reading, which I wasn't really ready for Eastern league pitching or anything. I didn't even know what a slider was at that time. And, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't hit that pitch to save my butt. So, uh, but they put me there, and your dad that's where your dad and I's friendship started. And a quick little story out there, and it, it doesn't sound like much, to tell you the truth, but, of course, for me it meant a lot. And I remember rounding the bases and coming across home plate after that home run, and your dad's standing there in the catching gear. And he's got, you know how he used to stand with his hands on his hips, and he's standing there, and I come across home plate, and he says, nice hitting, Mike. <laughs> you know, a simple little comment, right? But I'm going, oh, man, I, ne- I would never forget that as long as I live that your dad made that comment to me after that home run, standing behind the home plate in his catching gear. Anyway, again, that's where our friendship started. And so, yeah, uh, not to be too go off too much on this, but we did then go to Eugene, Oregon together the next year. So go ahead. Take it from there. You go to Eugene, Oregon, and that that's when Bob, but he likes to flip it around. He goes, you'd have never heard of Schmitty if I had become a catcher. And and that's his story. He likes to, <laughs> that's exactly that's right. A, that's that's exactly a story right. he likes to tell. I tell it the other way. I, you know, people say, well, why'd your dad become a catcher? I said, him and Schmitty were coming up together. Somebody had to move. And, and I think uh, 
dad's move was ended up working out pretty well, good for him. That's good enough. You know, that's good enough for the short story. If you got to tell it to somebody, yeah, that's definitely good <laughs> enough. Well, I, uh, so, so you play with him, you go to Eugene, you're the third baseman. He's the catcher. You right. get to the big leagues. I mean, you just signed in 71. You get to the big leagues in 72. I, I was just kind of looking over before we did the show. I was just looking at, yeah, you know, yeah. the year by year. And, it, and and I'm looking at your your line for 72. And it's kind of, you know, few, fewer at bat. So I'm figuring 72s, you get called up at some point. 73, you become, uh, you start getting a, a lot of playing time. You hit 196. I saw that, but 74 yeah. is when it changes, and you kind of start. You becoming the superstar that that Mike Schmidt was, and then you go on to have that unbelievable Philly career. And and man, I I, I was lucky enough as a kid, uh, you know, myself and, and my little brother to just tag along and come hang out with you guys. But just talk about those Philly days and and some of the characters on that team, some of the awesome guys on that team. I still, to this day, I I've got stories about each and every one of you, you know, from hanging out, yeah. hanging out with you to bull to, to help helping Manny trio paint his glove. But I think the, <laughs> the, the, the audience would rather hear it from you. Well, Brett, yeah, I think every, um, every young boy in the, in the history of our world would love to have been in your shoes those years. Um, you know, love to have been able to do what you did from, <clears throat> I don't know, how old were you from the age of maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there to, you know, to the time you were close to high school age. Would those yeah. be the right years as we yeah. look back? Uh, yeah. you, you and Aaron, of course, Aaron being your younger brother and you guys just coming into the ballpark with your dad every day and putting your uniforms on and going out and shagging during batting practice. Maybe some days your dad might pitch a little BP to you or something before the players came out and then hanging in the locker room. And, you know, a lot of a lot of times the the players on the team, uh, you mentioned uh, Manny Trio, they're good with the kids, you know. And, uh, of course, we all had kids Well, I didn't have kids at that at that time till um, till about 1980. But. Um, yeah, you know, it's kind of like the mascot of the team, you, you and, uh, you and Aaron and, uh, what experience you got doing that. I'm sure you went down to the batting cage sometimes, uh, at the vet, uh, a little different than the batting cages nowadays. I think you probably remember that, but, um, the experiences you got doing that probably helped to formulate, you know, your, your ability to play the game and, and, you know, lead to the, uh, the career that you guys both had as major league players. Um, yeah, characters on the team, man, did we have a lot, uh, I mean, you go, you're going back now to 72 to 76, 77, 78, uh, in that range. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I can just sit here and recall different guys and different names. I mean, Tug McGraw would be one for sure. Um, um, I don't know. Was Jay Johnstone on the team back, back then? I, I remember Johnstone. Of, that was really early seventies, though. Yeah, some some of the real crazy guys that we had, but um, there was a lot of fun to be had uh, in that locker room, you know, in the clubhouse, uh, as you know. And I, that's one of the great, great things about having a chance to play Major League Baseball was to, you know, have the fraternity, fraternity experience of uh, being in a clubhouse with those guys and traveling the country and. And, uh, you know, we, we would never trade our lives back in those days for anybody, for anything. I know that. And I think, too, you know, maybe maybe it's just I'm kind of partial to it because I saw it. But those those years in the 70s and, and it was the Phillies and you had you were rivals with the Reds, a big red machine and that that classic infield for the Dodgers, the We Are Family Pirates. I remember all those. Yeah. You know, late, you got, later. You got it, man. I mean, I mean, it That's was right. awesome. But you get to well, 80. the Reds beat the hell out of us. You know, that was the the days of the big red machine, and uh, um, probably the class of Major League Baseball. You know, in the seventy four, five, six, seven range when they when they had uh, that lineup with uh, Morgan and Griffey, and I don't know whether Griffey was there yet, but it, uh, of course it was Bench and Perez and. You know, that three, four, five, Bench, Perez, and Morgan, and then Foster jumped in there in the 76 range. And 
Oh, yeah. You know, they were just uh, – they never had the greatest pitching staff ever, but uh, um, they had some kind of offense. Uh, and, of course, Pete – I didn't want to leave Pete out. Pete was kind of the the heart and soul of the team. He never would get the credit that Bench and Perez maybe and Morgan got. Uh, but, you know, Pete was probably the guy that made that team go. And then, of course, we ended up getting to play with Pete in 79, 80 to 83 but in Philadelphia. But um, we had some classic battles, losing to them in 76 when we got in our first postseason and then the Dodgers the next two years. Um, and then uh, finally, I think it was – well, we finally beat the Dodgers in 83. But then we got in the World Series in 80, and uh, we all got our ring. Yeah, that was awesome. And that was that was your first MVP go on to win – two more you're the mvp yeah. of the world series i i remember i was there tugs arms in the air i remember the party yeah. afterwards i stayed at pete's house and and i remember because mom and dad went out and were celebrating i ended up going to the parade with pete and uh <laughs> wow what what I mean, i'm telling you i i love those years because it's my childhood but yeah but aaron is is a freak i mean Still to this day, he'll break out the VCR, throw it on. Remember all those all those DVDs they'd put out of the Phillies and Harry Callis is in the background doing the sure. doing the uh, yeah play by play. I mean, still to this day, and 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 I'll get phone calls when you guys have one of those games on on MLB Classics. They were like, "Hey, Boone, are you yeah. watching the eighty series? <laughs> you know, whether you're playing." I mean, it's just it, it's really cool, you know. And I yeah. I went on and had my own career. And I had a lot of twenty two game. Yeah, uh, in Chicago. Like, yeah. Right, that's right. I mean, it's just awesome stuff. It's well, awesome that's neat stuff. to hear that you guys still um, have those memories and still talk about them. That's really cool. Yeah. All right, so home run number 500 for you. What was that like? Yeah. It's probably one of the most uh, iconic calls probably in the history of baseball when Harry Callis and, and he calls you Michael Jack and, and I can see it right now. What was it like for you leading up to that? And then finally when it happened? Well, Brett, uh, I, I, let's see, 495, I think I ended the previous season with, uh, so I needed five home runs to get to 500. And, um, you start thinking, you know, I mean, holy crap, wouldn't it be embarrassing if it took me like a month or a month and a half? I start pressing, you know, and um, trying to hit home run and, you know, trying to force things and all that. And God, I hope that doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden you get this this video company. I think I think you may have heard of the guy. Mike Tolan is his name, uh, who produced uh, the Road to 500 video Um he did the uh, Michael Jordan um, documentary that's been on recently. Um, you may have heard of him through that. but uh, So he comes to town with this big crew, and they follow me around all through spring training. I mean, I look like a guy with Secret Service. Everywhere I go, everything I do, I got this video crew following me. And um, so that, you know, they wanted to shoot everything I did, basically. Sometimes they even follow me out to dinner at night and, and – I don't know why I agreed to do all that, but I did. So I had built up some pressure on myself to hit these five home runs. But sure enough, and I want to be clear about one thing, I I was a pretty good hitter then. Then I was a very inconsistent hitter most of my career, you know, obviously in terms of batting average. I, mean, I had some great seasons, don't get me wrong, but um, I was more of a contact hitter um, in, in, what, in C, uh, 80. 586 and 87 and sure enough i mean boom 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 i rattled off those five home runs um and i think it was april golly you know like i don't know the 10th 12th game of the year when i i hit the fifth one and the 500th and it won a game for us we were man we were struggling i think we were one and eight or something as a team and we were we were down by two runs late in the game and it was a three-run homer and um so in that sense it was big you know it was big and uh you know i knew it was out when i hit it and i did a little dance at home plate and you know not too much to show up uh the pitcher or the other team and ran around pretty fast and we had a big uh scrum well it wasn't a scrum like they know scrums now you know like like what goes on now but uh Got a little high five from everybody at home plate, and uh, we, I ended up finishing the game at shortstop. 
we ran out of players and uh i was the only one that could play short so somebody came in and played third and i played short and the rest is history yeah and you and you mentioned you there, said uh you Brett, didn't want to seven show- guys that had 500 home runs when i hit mine yeah you didn't want to show up i mean that home run today and that was about the the most I've ever seen you get excited on a home run. I mean, that's just commonplace today. <laughs> that's for guys that. Hit, well, yeah, hit yeah, 12. yeah. And, and, <laughs> and as far, as far as that subject goes, I mean, I think, uh, it's, you know, everybody does it today. And, you know, we've gone from hardly anybody does it when your dad and I played to everybody does it today. It's just been a transition over these. I mean, I'll never forget a player, by the name of Pasquale Perez. Do you remember that name? I do. He was a pitcher for Atlanta. I, you know, I remember. Latino he, he was in, he was in a huge, huge uh, fight. There's there's kind of a oh. famous video about him in there. I, I I don't know, but you know he he really was he was so off the wall. Um, cocky and hot doggy and, you know what I mean? Showing up hitters when he struck them out, you know, strutting off the field and all that. Uh, Andahar, you remember Andahar was a little bit like that too. Joaquin we only had a couple. Yeah, just yeah. a couple guys, you know, in all of baseball that were like that. And now, I mean, every reliever that comes in the game, every, you know, hitters, I mean, everybody is – I don't know. Every, everybody has an act and um, the teams. I mean, I don't know how they how they get together with all these uh, handshakes and the shit they do. And they come out of the dugout <laughs> and everybody wants to be front and center all the time. And of course, everybody does it like we like I said earlier. So it's, it's not a big deal, but it's just absolutely the opposite of when your dad and I played. Yeah. And it's uh, you know, it's something. And 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 I think as we get older and and. Uh, you know, I've always taken the attitude because, you know, as as a young kid or or during the during my career, I'd have my grandpa come to me and he'd always say, oh, yeah, you guys today. And he'd always be talking about his generation <laughs> and Ted Williams. Sounds and, like you know, me. <laughs> and, I, and I'd be like, Gramps, give it a rest. You know, he, he was talking, yeah. you know, he, he'd talk his stuff. And he was just defending his era. But I always thought, you know. Okay, when I when I start to get a little older and and I'm talking to my kids, I'm not going to be like Grandpa was and say, "No, what you guys did today, we were the best." And I found that you know the game is what it is today, and 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 I take, uh, you know, for instance, my childhood and and watching you guys play. Man, there's so many things that I love about the game, the way it was played back then in the '70s and '80s, and and my career is the '90s and the early 2000s. I love so many things about those generations, but I still I have a son coming up now, so so I look at him and and they're doing their thing right now. So I'm not going to be mm-hmm. that guy. I'm going to accept some things, some of the things I, I I don't agree with, but it's not my game anymore. It's their game and what right. they do with it. One day history is going to judge whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing. There's good and bad about each generation, but I think you as we it, go on, Brett, you 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 you've put in it. You you couldn't have said it better. Every everything you just said was absolutely perfect. And I have to remind myself from time to time that we had our the things we did. We had our hairstyles. We had you know uh, I had a beard um, and I had a perm at one time, and and you know we did. We did our stuff from our generation and the generation previous to us probably were saying the same things that I would say about the game today. If I don't catch myself, you know, if I don't catch myself, you know, it's always sour grapes with the older folk. And uh, I, you know, I have, I catch myself sometimes. You got to be careful because like I said, we had our thing, you know, we, we, we had our era you had your era and the players today now have theirs. And you know what? In every era, the players play their hearts out. Um, you know, how they care of themselves as professional athletes, as, you know, as men and examples to, you know, our kids today is, is one thing, but they play the heart, they play the game hard, you know, real hard. And um, it's in their heart. And I've been around them enough today's players to know that, 
It's not that much different, man. It's not. It's not. You can sit yeah. in a batting cage with uh, the Phillies right now, and um, they're all thinking the same shit that we used to think. <laughs> yep. No, I agree. All right. Well, it's interesting you bring up the the Jordan documentary late, uh, that that's come out recently. I think it's called The Last Dance. And I yeah. wanted to talk to you about <clears throat> when you were coming up, it was very rare to have an endorsement of any kind uh, being a major league player. I think there were only a handful of you, but you got a seven up spot. And <laughs> I thought that was really interesting for the times because nobody did it. You were doing Jordan type endorsements before Jordan came along. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that was like and, and how well, your teammates looked at that. Yeah, Brett, that's interesting that you should say that. I don't quite think there's, Michael Jordan like <laughs> well it was the beginning of that few, and that type I, of thing yeah I had a few national commercials um back then um and you you mentioned one that was very close to being one of my first ones where the you know the, it was called feeling seven up and you know the seven up bottle popped out of home plate and I kind of caught it right over home plate and it was like Mike Schmidt's feeling seven up and that was one, you know, kind of a nice experience. We all, you know, we all want to kind of get a, a, a gig or two uh, like that. Uh, um, it's kind of the ego uh, that we have. And if you can get a few things like that, it just kind of bolsters your ego, um, which, you know, you shouldn't need. But sometimes they could be a nice little payday, uh, which is which was good back then. And uh, you go Campbell's soup. I did one time. Uh, I think you've seen uh, a lot of the guys over the years. Uh, um, McNabb, I think, uh, had a Campbell's soup commercial. I still think occasionally there's a Campbell's soup commercial on. I did that, uh, did that piece about, I don't do drugs. Uh, that was, uh, I believe, uh, Nancy Reagan's, uh, uh, tagline and, um, um, you know, there, there was many more, actually one of the ones is, uh, got milk. Um, Cal Ripken did a lot of them, but I was the first one. Cal and I did a couple of national got milk commercials. You know, where you have the little mustache with the milk on, on Lee jeans. Uh, so I'm not going to go on and on about this. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it gives me a good feeling to know that you remember that, remember that stuff back then. Sometimes I'll sit around and think uh man how come i didn't get to do some and then i realized if i sit and think real hard i realized i did a lot of them yeah no i just bring it up because it was the time it was the time where nowadays it's different with social media and uh yeah that's and right. how much is how much is going on i mean i see guys get to the big leagues now they got their names on their spikes in double a and you know it took me 10 years in the big leagues and i'm going how do you <laughs> you're supposed to you're supposed to earn stuff like that that's just oh, the way Brett, it is now you're exactly that's, right you're exactly that's just right the way it is. Um, and that's why it's amazing yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah. you know i i made um i want to say i don't know if i made anything using an adirondack bat i was the first adirondack uh, uh autograph you know, a guy to have his autograph on an Adirondack bat. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I remember signing that contract at, in the uh, locker room at Reading uh, when I walked in there and uh, there was a con, there was an envelope sitting on my stool and I opened it up and it was from Rawlings Adirondack. And I read the contract and didn't have lawyers or agents or anything back then. I read the contract and it said, uh, if you sign this contract and, and use uh, the, the Rawlings Adirondack bats exclusively, we'll give you a set of Tony Pena, Tony Pena golf clubs, <laughs> Tony Pena. Now you probably don't remember that name, but he was an old, uh, I don't, um, I want to say designer of either golf clubs or something. You know, we got a street named after him right here where, near where we live. But um, so I signed my life away uh, for a set of golf clubs in terms of the bat that I used my entire career. Now, I don't imagine somebody like Mike Trout uh, is, is using a, whatever bat he's using for free. I don't think know. so either. They're getting paid for everything. <laughs> I think, you know, the more we talk about this, I, I'm feeling like maybe I'm just jealous. Like, man, I, I needed to play 20 years later or 15 years later. I had to be bored 15 years after I was. Well, I think, of, I think about that. And, you know, Brett, there's only one reason you'd want to play now. And I know you were in a period in, in your career where 
the money was a lot, you know, a lot, lot better mm-hmm. than when, when your dad and I played. But even now, uh, you have to be pretty impressed with where the, where money in baseball is now, you know, where contracts are now. And it's I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure that I'd trade when I played for, for playing now with the exception of, you know, how big my yacht would be maybe, or what kind of an yeah. airplane I'd be flying around in. But, um, I don't know if I'd want to play uh, professional sports now with the social media the way it is. Yeah, it's, it's a different world, you know, and you talk to the kids nowadays and, <clears throat> you know, what's what's life like for you? And it's kind of because of the social media, because everybody is so recognizable and because of the finances in today's game, a lot of these guys, you know, they go from the yard, they go home. And, and they play video yeah. games in, in their hotel room because well, that's the way right. it is. And and there's always people with maybe bad intentions out there that maybe sure. get you on camera and, and and maybe misrepresent what you're doing. It would be, you know, there's pros and cons. I, I think, like you said, what yacht would Mike Schmidt be be driving right now or how many airplanes would he have? That's the one side. The other side is uh, you kind of lived in a more innocent time where, where you could come and go. That's as right. We, you know, we couldn't your do life. now what we used to love to do back in the day. And that was, you know, have a beer at the hotel bar or, you know, go out and have dinner and, and you know, on a couple of cocktails with your teammates when you're on the road. I mean, I, I just don't know how guys pull that off nowadays because, you know, people sitting around all have cell phones and, uh, you know, they can shoot, shoot you doing whatever you're doing and, you know, and, and put it, put it, uh, misrepresented, as you said, on social media. And I mean, I, I just don't know how anybody can exist out in, in public nowadays. All right. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about your stance. It's different. Batting stance. I, your batting stance. Yeah. Or my and, political and I rem- stance. No, no, your batting stance. We don't talk politics on the Boone podcast. <laughs> so your batting stance, somewhat unique. And and I remember as a kid, you know, just I remember little things like this. It was always thrown around, yeah, Schmitty stands too far off the plate. You know, he's too close. And you're kind of like, leave me alone. This is how I hit. And you're putting up the numbers you did. I mean, you led the league in home runs eight times. But I talked to, recently had Jeff Bagwell. Yeah, you know, a guy from my era who I played sure, against, one, absolutely. Of best, one, of the, one of the best players I ever played against. His stance, obviously, very unique. But I look yours real closed. You know, kind of like when, when dad went to the Angels, Doug DeSensei's kind of had that real closed off. If in today's game, maybe a Stanton, although I watch Stanton and I'm thinking, man, he gets he gets so closed off. And I know there's a Billy DeMars story in there somewhere. We lost Billy recently, you know, rest his soul. I know there's a Billy DeMars story in there, but tell me a little bit about your stance and how you came up with it. Well, Brett, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Billy DeMars. Uh, He was your dad and I's first uh, hitting coach. Um, But I don't, I wouldn't say that Billy had any influence on how I stood at the plate. Um, Early in my career, uh, you know, I, I just, had the batting stance that I had, you know, that I arrived uh, in, in the major leagues with. Uh, uh, most of my, you know, my focus as a hitter in my early days was more about tension and re- relaxation and um, the, the effort that I put into my swing. And I found out, which is why I had success early, not so much in 73, which you mentioned earlier, but starting in 74, where I might have had my most consistent year ever in my career was more about uh, swing. I call it like swing tension. Like it seemed like the easier I swung the bat, the better hitter I was, the more I'd make solid contact. And the more I would could, the more, you know, I could execute, excuse me, a line drive or was a better two strike hitter or whatever. It seemed like that I could hit the ball just as far uh, with his, with less effort. Um, And I ran with that for a couple of years and then, you know, how everything seems to change and that theory sort of leaves you and you move on to something else. And, um, but I bounced back and forth for the first, uh, six, seven years of my career, really concentrating on, uh, um, on the tension in my swing, how hard I was trying to hit the ball. And I, as I said earlier, I've, 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 I understood, I figured this out in, in winter ball one time that if I just swung the bat easy, I stayed on balance. My head stayed still um 
the less effort I put into it, the more the more I got out of it. And kind of that's how I was early in my career. And then I uh, we got into um, the late 70s. Uh, you know, when I had my MVP years, 80, 81, um, probably the, the, the heart of my career was 78, which wasn't a great year for me, but 79 through 86, uh, that's kind of like the middle productive years of my career, even though the previous years before that were pretty, pretty darn productive. But uh, it was more of a um, open up the inside corner of the plate, force the pitcher to pitch to the outer half of the plate and dive, you know, sort of, sort of stride into the plate. In other words, back up off the plate and have freedom on the inner half of the plate. So any ball near your body, any pitch near your body or anywhere near your hands is off the plate and inside. And of course the, the catcher always sets up on the outer half of the plate when he sees you so far off the plate. So I would look for the ball out over the plate and try to hit it to right center straight up the middle. I became more of a kind of a, I, I don't know. This is maybe not a, a good example because people, I don't want to compare myself to this guy, but more of a uh, sort of a Tony Perez, Roberto Clemente sort of uh, spray chart where my balls were all over the field um, from right center. I had a lot of home runs to right center down the right field line. Uh, and then of course, off speed pitches or fastballs inside. I was pretty good at turning on them and, and uh, and hitting them out to left field. But during that period, I was at least 50% home run opposite field during those years. And then uh, I got toward um, the later the later part of my career, productive years were um, end of 85, 86, and 87, uh, where I raised my batting average to the 290s. I cut my strikeouts from generally around 125, 130 down to 80. Um, this is why my batting average went up to the 295, 96 range two years in a row. Um, by adopting a, a uh, closer to the plate stance, more squared off to the pitcher, carried my bat a little bit flatter over my shoulder rather than rather than uh, sort of perpendicular to the ground. And I tried to drive down on the ball. I tried to, I tried near, I, I, I nearly tried to drive the ball into the dirt right in front of home plate. And I'll tell you why I did that. I try to trick myself. I learned how to trick myself into swinging level through the ball at all the planes in the, in the hitting zone, shoulder high, waist high, knee high. No matter where I saw the ball, I tried to drive it down into the ground in front of home plate. And then when I did hit a home run or a line drive up the middle, I could look at the video on the uh, dugout side, the open side of my stance, and the ball was swung at perfectly level through the ball. The, the bat stayed on plane perfectly level through the ball. And in my brain, I was telling myself to drive it into the ground in front of home plate. So I learned to trick myself into a level swing, which created more contact, made me a better hitter. So that in, in a nutshell, uh, if you want to call that a nutshell, I mean, I, I could write a book about all of it, but uh, that that's the shortest answer I can give you about my, uh, you know, the changing of uh, my hitting style over 17 years. Who are your are you favorite there? hitters? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I was formulating did my next You didn't fall asleep, thought. did you? <laughs> who, was your, uh, who are your favorite hitters to watch in those days? I mean, who would you – there's not too many guys we'll come out early and, and watch – uh, hit BP for the uh, on the other team. We got enough stuff that we're getting ready for our own game. But who are some guys that that just stand out in, in your in your mind? Well, I'm a, I'm a, guys that well, I, like I might go out. And, I might go out and watch watch Willie Stargell take BP or somebody like that. But he's I now nowadays. I mean, Greg Lazinski I used to love to watch because he and I were always in the same group hitting. But. Um, how about Bob Boone, man? He can spray some line drives. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm going to no, tell, uh, tell Pop. No, I watch guys nowadays. I remember Pat Burrell he used to be a fun guy to watch take BP. In fact, I was, I was, uh, I want to say, hired or asked to come back to the Phillies in spring training specifically to, <clears throat> to work with Scott Rowland and Pat Burrell. By Larry Boa, by the way. Larry Boa brought me back in 2000. My my assignment was to to help Pat Burrell and, and Scott Rowland cut their strikeouts down. Whoa, how about that? 
Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to love to watch Burl take batting practice because I want to tell you, nobody could hit a ball harder than Pat Burl. And then um, Tommy, Tommy was a lot of fun. Tommy used to just kind of feather line drives to over the shortstop one after another, after another. Um, and then um, <clears throat> who else? Let's see. Um, just uh, those are the names that come to mind. They all had something unique about them. And uh, maybe the, the biggest thing was the sound of the ball coming off their bat and batting practice. Brett, you know how Whatever. small these ballparks are nowadays. They are, and and you guys God, are getting they, they, they they lose in Philadelphia. They go through hundred baseballs in batting practice. Well, I used to I used to love. I I never got a chance. I retired before the new stadium in Philly was there. I used to love hitting at the vet when we'd have interleague play. And uh, man, I used to love hitting there. But you're right. the The parks are getting smaller. Pitches are throwing harder. But guys are yep. getting bigger and stronger. You know, I walk into that Yankees locker room. I mean, it's like it's like uh, it's like walking into the Dallas Cowboys locker. I mean, these guys are humongous. And and yes, uh, but I've are. been watching the last few years, and I know something funny's going on. That ball's wound a little. You know, I'll, I'll be at certain ballparks, and I and I know how it flies. But I'm kind of going. That ball's going out. <laughs> and I'm at, and who knows yeah, any what's ball, going any on? ball in the air. Is basically going out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless it's straight yeah. up, unless it's straight yeah. up in the infield. But I mean, um, you could put Citizens Bank Park, and I say this with all due respect. That you know the players didn't build the stadiums, but you know you could put it inside of the vet. You 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 know you could put just the playing field itself. You you could put Citizens Bank Park inside of Veterans Stadium, um, and. When you think about it, um, I fly out to the warning track probably 50 times a year. And that's a, mile, that's a conservative estimate at the vet, right? You know, where the outfielder's got his back. He's standing on the warning right. track catching the ball. Right. And every ball I hit to the warning track's a home run now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's definitely geared uh, – you know, more offensive and, and, and things are changing in the game too. Now, you know, with, it used to be, and I know this was probably in, in your generation, you know, you have those hitters meetings before, before a series four, three or four game series. And a lot of the times the hit as hitters, we say, yeah, let's get, let's get into their bullpen. Well, nowadays mm-hmm. the way, the way the game set up, Certain bullpens you might not want to get into. Let's, let's not oh, be too hard on kidding? the starter. You're absolutely right. I, you know, I, I watched the uh, the Rays play. Oh, nasty! You you can't get a hit. There's no way. You, I mean, how do you score on that bullpen? <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean, the guy, the, the low guy in the total poles throwing ninety seven. The worst pitcher in that bullpen was their closer. Yeah, unbelievable. It, it's amazing, and you meant you you hit the nail on the head, Brett. I wouldn't want to be hitting nowadays. These guys, there's so many six, four, six, five, six, six guys that throw on somewhere in the 95 range. It can hit, you know, can hit 98 basically if they want to. And they're, and, and they're, they're licking their chops because they they know all these hitters are, they're teaching the upswing to all these hitters. And that's why you see the catcher place the glove just, you know, just above the waist and they just ride that fastball up in there and hitters cannot touch it they can't touch it you know a high fastball and it's just a tough tough road to hoe to be a hitter nowadays all right well i'm gonna you got to take yourself yourselves out of the equation for this next question to mike schmidt without without you being eligible for the answer who's the the greatest 3b of all time third baseman Yep. Well, that, that's uh, you know that's um, it, it's it, I don't it, it's got to be a tie. Even if I am in the picture, we got to think of one thing right now, and that's that Brooks Robinson basically is you know is still the father of third base. You know, he is the guy that put third base on the map. We all, you know 
looked at, th- at Brooks Robinson as a god of third base, whether it's Brett or Nettles or Boggs or um, who else am I thinking about? I mean, A-Rod is uh, more of a shortstop third baseman, but I mean, uh, Eddie Matthews, uh, myself, uh, Paul Molitor, um, on and on. I may be leaving one, a couple of guys out. Help me out if I, if I well, I mean, golly, I'm, if you want me to talk about the guys that are playing right now, it's a different story. But um, Nolan Arenado, um, yeah, for good. me right now, is three or four of his normal years away from being the greatest third baseman of all time. And 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 every every time I say that, but oh, he plays in Coors Field, and you know everybody can do it. He uses Coors Field. You know that's a lot of BS. I mean, the guy has the guys had the best offensive statistics close to in the league, and has never won an MVP. Yeah, you know he he could have won the MVP. I think the last three years, and numbers dwarf mine. You know his offensive numbers dwarf mine, and defensively, he's as good as. He's definitely better than me because he he's got more range and you know crazy good arm and um, he plays I guess they play on immaculate fields but they're dirt fields not like the vet but um, so you know it'd be Brooks of course uh, as the honorary all time greatest third baseman and George and myself for different reasons and um, Boxy Scott obviously he's done his thing and. Uh, uh, Nettles was, was a great third baseman. Ron Santo, um, of course, Eddie Matthews hit 500 home runs. What do you think? Well, it's tough for me to go back. I'm going to always have my favorite, and I'm going to go with Schmitty. Uh, <laughs> but, man, th- there were some great ones. You know, George in your era, and I remember 80. You know, George, that's the year he made yeah. it run it at uh, 400 homers. Or, I'm sorry, hitting 400. Uh, a teammate of mine, he was only a teammate of mine for a year in Seattle, right at the end of my career, but went on. He's going to be a first, you know, probably a first ballot. He just retired. Adrian Beltre. Uh, oh, God. You know, I when, forgot when him. It was all, you know, when it was all why, said why and done, that? I looked why at do we? Why do we, when I say we, I'm just talking about not just you and I, but just baseball people forever never really remember or think about Adrian Beltre. And his, what, a great, what a great player. His numbers – Probably, I don't know, Brett. They're probably better than mine. I mean, well, he he didn't hit as many homers as you, or not. But I mean, this guy has snuck up on the game of baseball from behind like nobody you'd ever seen. Yeah, he uh, he had he didn't have as many homers as you, but I think he had about eighteen hundred ribbies. Got three thousand hits. He was a great great defender. I got to He's play. He's got eighteen hundred ribbies. Well, George Brett and I have fifteen ninety five. Which ain't bad. <laughs> well, I'm just saying I, that's how good Beltre is. Now, yeah. I, I don't know how long he played. Sometimes guys will play 22, 23 years, but um, I played 17. I think George played co- close to 20. But um, yeah, I think I think Adrian ended up with 19 or 20 years. Yeah, played well, a, long a couple time. more years, but still, those his numbers are off the charts. He's he's first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. Yeah. I'll be the one first of, and, one to shake his hand. Yeah, and, and a good guy too. One of my favorite teammates. But I won't touch his hair. No, don't touch his hair. He, he, he'll be one of your. Would he, would he sitting up there with you one day on uh, in those bleachers? Uh, you'll get to see what what an awesome guy this guy is. And speaking of that, man, I got to go back. A uh, good friend of mine's Trevor Hoffman, and a couple years ago, he got inducted. Yeah, yeah. And and I had been to the hall a few times. Uh, you know, for other reasons, but I'd never been there for the ceremony. So I went out to see, you know, support Trevor and, and got to see it, you know, for Tomei got inducted that, that time. I think mm-hmm. Chipper did mm-hmm. all guys that I played with. And, uh, I had no idea, you know, watching that thing on TV, I figure ah, a couple thousand people in the crowd. Fan. That's like Woodstock. That yeah, was, you know, for is. something There's that no I wasn't involved I- in. That was one of the coolest. I use that term all things. the time. It's it's it looks just like Woodstock out there. Yep. It it was one of the coolest things. And for anybody out there that hasn't gone, if you ever get a chance to go see the the induction ceremony, get out there and do it. And and you were a first ballot in '95. It's been 26 years for you now since since you Isn't got uh, you got inducted. 
does it ever get old going back every year? Because every year all the all the Hall of Famers get to take that trip to Cooperstown. Does it ever get old for you? Well, when, when I go, I I always say, you know, you have to do this every year. I say to myself, now I have not gone back every year. I think I've missed uh, maybe two or three. I missed uh, I missed one because of my health issue that I had. Um, Back in the, well, I think it was 2013 and 14. I may have missed two years in a row, and then uh, um, we had a couple of family issues. I couldn't, so I have not been back. Uh, I, well, if you, it was canceled last year, and the year previous to that, I didn't go. So, yeah, I mean, I I plan on going for sure as soon as we uh, uh, schedule the next one and actually have it. But um, I I. You know, I'm so enamored by the guys over the years. The late Tom Seaver was always there. And um, Joe Morgan, of course, was always there. And I know George Brett goes back every year. And I know Wade Boggs is always there. And and those loyal guys that, you know, make it a point to be there every year, you know, they are – to be commended for that. I have had issues that have not allowed me to be in that group. Uh, but going forward, um, you know, I hope to be better at it. And, um, you know, I hope to do everything I can to be there every year. So to answer your question, when you are there, it is um, your heart, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but you, it reminds you of, of what a fraternity um, that is. Uh, when I first walked in there, I looked at Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and Stan Musial and, you know, guys like that. And uh, we're all sitting in the same room and I'm one of them. And uh, I don't know how the hell I ever got from where I started to being in the same room with those guys. Um, you know, it's a, it's a mind boggling experience to, to have it. And um, it's, it's, it's so special. There is no other hall of fame that can compare um, in the ambiance uh, involved in, in actually becoming a member. Uh, the fraternity is really, really something special. Brett, you know what? Now I'm one of those old guys. You remember when I said <laughs> Stan Usual? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mention those names. Well, now it's me. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think you know? that's cool. And for, you know, we talked about Adrian Beltre. What a cool thing it's going to be for Adrian Beltre to get to to get to shake hands with Mike Schmidt and be in the same, uh, you know, kind of what we call a club. I mean, that, that's what I think is yeah. so cool about it. When you're going in. Trust me, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take him under my wing. Yeah. I mean, when you're going in, you're getting to see Hank Aaron, you know, and now guys are going, wow, I get to hang out with Mike Schmidt. I mean, that's what makes the Hall (laughs) of Fame such a cool thing. I can, I would never be able to imagine that a young player entering the Hall of Fame would think the same thing about me that I would have thought about Willie Mays or Hank Aaron. And if that's true, if that's true, then that just tells you right there what a special place it is. It is. It, it's pretty awesome. Well, Schmitty, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is a lot of fun getting to, getting to catch up with you. And uh, what we do at the end of each Boone podcast is we have the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, come in with a question from the fans. Dan, you around? Oh, I'm around. All right. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> oh, good, Dan. Are you sitting there listening to all this? I soaked it all in. And I love oh, the boy. fact that you did an endorsement just for a set of golf clubs. That's probably my favorite part of the entire interview. <laughs> All that right. The bat so what do you got? Man. What do you got? All right. This one's this one's a real doozy. You ready? All right. A doozy. All right, Mike. This one is from Matt in Spokane. When did you grow your famous mustache for the first time? And who had the... 1974 winter uh started it in winter ball in san juan puerto rico on a whim on a whim and never cut it off until i want to say about four years ago wow it really hung around well it did it did you know it was a kind of part of me and um 
I don't know. I'm not much better looking without it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a second part to the question. Oh, who, there is. Who had the best mustache in the game? Well, that's got to be Raleigh, doesn't it? Fingers. <laughs> and he's still rocking it. He's still going. Yes, he's still he is. Going. Yes, he is. I'm sure. Um, there's a lot of going on facial hair nowadays. A lot going on, you know. Uh, guys, baseball players have a lot of time to spend in those uh, in front of those mirrors in the in the clubhouses, don't we, Brett? <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, guys. Brett, so good to hear your voice. And uh, thanks for bringing back some sweet memories. And um, you tell your daddy I said hello, too. And uh, tell him never not to give up, man. Swing from the inside. Swing from the inside. And stay with it. Stay with that shot till that club goes through the ball. And hit him a nice little hot draw down there and he can hit it down there 200 yards like all us other old men 250 yards like all us other old men i'm gonna i'm gonna send this audio to him but i'll tell you today he's sitting there behind a tree and i said you dad you can't spell draw because it was the only play you know the cut was too far away if you could just draw it around this tree and he kind of looked at me i said that's right forget it just play it out (laughs) there and it's gonna be this gonna be three shots you hopefully you get it it out chip it out yeah, chip it out. Thanks, Smitty. This was awesome. Mailbag. All right, Brett, you know that sound. That means it's now time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. You know how it goes. Everybody that sent their questions to add the Boone 29 on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram to Brett Boone, we have collected and we have come up with these this list of three. You ready to roll? Ready to go. All right. This one's from Allen along Beach. Brett, which of your dad's former teammates were the nicest to the Boone Boys when you were little? Uh, all of them. Uh, I man. Come on. Give us one. Man, we just interviewed Mike Schmidt. He was the nicest? There, there was no nicest. I had so many guys that because uh, I get asked that question, who was your favorite growing up? You got to go grow up in those Phillies clubhouses and those Angels clubhouses with Rod Carew and, and Freddie Lynn. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a favorite guy. There wasn't a guy that was extra nice. I came to the ballpark and it was like my playground. All these guys were my favorites. And one doesn't really stand out on being nicer to me. They were all great. Booner. I was probably the, I was the pain in the ass. I was going to say, if we just rewind this podcast about 40 minutes before, you'll hear somebody actually say he changed your diaper. That is number one, bud. <laughs> that is numero uno. All right, let's head back into the bag, shall we? All right, Brett. Tim in Orlando wants to know, do you remember your first baseball card? My first? Uh, you got to – is it the, my first? Brett Boone baseball card? I do. Uh, it was a Bowman. Or I don't know if the question is, do I let's remember go? Let's go baseball? both. Do you remember the first one you ever got? And do you remember I, I the first time you saw you yourself? Nope. I never collected baseball cards. I'd get the baseball cards and I'd put them in my spokes of my <laughs> bike. So it would make that sound. But I never collected baseball cards. Uh, yeah. And the first card I remember myself was, I believe it was a 1990 Bowman. Did you chew the gum? No. <laughs> Stop lame. Lame. <laughs> lame. All right. And we go back into the bag. We go. This one is from Kevin in San Diego, a place you know very well. Brett, who is the best golfer in the charity golf events that you play in? Who's the best? Uh... I would say current best, there's Josh Scobie, who's an ex-NFL kicker, who's one of the best out there. I'd have to say uh, Mark, baseball player-wise, Mark Mulder. Ooh. All right. How was Barkley when you played against him? Oh, he's horrible. (laughs) 
But he's one. <laughs> it was one of the funnest rounds I've ever had. We got to get Charles on the podcast. Hey, yeah, you're, you're the man. You're the man of contacts. We'll see if we can get a hold of him. I'd love to have Charles come on, man. That was. It's still to this day one of the funnest rounds I've ever had. Okay, that's gonna do it for us here at the Bread Boon Podcast. We want to thank. Mike Schmidt for jumping on with us and telling some good tales. And we want to thank all those who went ahead and sent some questions in for the Brett Boone mailbag. Again, you can do that simply by tweeting at him at the moon 29. He's also on Facebook and Instagram for Brett Boone. My name is Dan Levy. This has been the Brett Boone podcast. It is Boone approved and we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody.